Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank Discussion with Passion on CJD 800. 1006, thank you so much for joining us on Passion. It's Kelly Alexander sitting in for Dr. Lori this week. We are here until 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock, I should say, on CJD. If you'd like to join us throughout um, the hour, we'd love that. You can join us by text, 514-800. We'd love your first name in the text. And also, you can join us by phone, 514-790-0800. And uh, we're joined tonight by the LGBTQ panel. So we have Professor Bill Ryan with us, an LGBTQ activist and McGill social work professor. Bill, thanks so much for joining us us tonight. Thank you. Uh, Brock Dumville, co-director of Rezo, a community organization dedicated to the health and well-being of gay bisexual men who have sex with men. And also we have a Charles Lowe, aka Dolly Blonde, singer and songwriter. So Brock and Dolly, thanks so much for hanging out with us tonight too. Appreciate yeah, it. No problem. So I wanted to just dump, jump right into the deep end of the pool, get things started right off the bat. So, um, you know, c- conversion therapy, this was sort of brought to, to me and I was like, wow, you hear about it, but then you don't hear about it all the time. And so I was like, is this still really a thing? So I don't know who wants to, to start off, but can someone explain uh, gay conversion therapy and where it came from? It's still a thing, uh, even though it's neither conversion or therapy. Right. Um, no professional association or many professional associations have come out against it. It's It's absolutely not something that works and mm-hmm. yet it's still a practice and it's a practice that still has sort of a demand there are people who still seek out um you know uh, like professional help to change their orientation or their gender um and there are people who still offer that as a service sometimes through the under the umbrella of like psychological help and sometimes under the umbrella of sort of spiritual help as well and mm-hmm. they both offer sort of different uh challenges is that still like a thing really here in canada because i feel that would be more of a southern united states thing it is a thing still in canada really eh? although several provinces have um, banned it and and, uh, rendered it a criminal activity Um, and actually the province that's most advanced in this right now is alberta where um, towns and communities across the province are passing bylaws um, banning conversion therapy on their territory and the um, Prime Minister um, Trudeau has promised to introduce legislation this year to um, ban conversion therapy, and he's asked all provinces to do it as well. We haven't done it in Quebec. Um, there is a movement to do it in Quebec, uh, but um, most, for example, the Maritime Provinces have done it. There's a law, a bill before the legislature, Prince Edward Island, actually, to ban it. Um, it is still being done. Uh, in the U.S., actually, they're they're going backwards and they're passing laws in some states now, particularly in the South, um, which will uh, ban banning conversion therapy. And uh, just this week, uh, Montana, actually, which isn't in the South but still is a conservative state, they actually now just uh, um, forbade um, healthcare professionals from giving uh, support to trans youth in their transition until they're adults which is against all the guidelines in psychiatry and psychology and sexology. But we're seeing this movement in the U.S. uh, gaining a lot of ground. And Trump has actually been encouraging that uh, quite forcefully. He has a lot of people around him who are fundamentalist Christians and uh, who are very, very homophobic and transphobic. Yeah, I wanted to get to that a little bit later because I know that, uh, I mean, if you've been following American politics and obviously specifically with the Trump situation, the Trump administration over the last couple of years, yeah, there's LGBTQ rights are just going in the opposite direction as to where they should be going. So we're going to get to that in a a little bit later on. Um, 
but yeah, with conversion theory, therapy, I guess I'm I'm shocked that it still would even be a thing. Like I again, I, I feel like in the Bible Belt, that's probably where it's going on. But I didn't even know that they would still have to be banning things in Canada for that not to be mm. an option. Yeah, there's even sort of an undercover investigation with one of the French news networks in the past couple of years. I forget it might have been TVA, uh, where even in Montreal they went undercover to sort of like inquire within Montreal-based churches, Montreal-based organizations to sort of say I am. Uh, confused or I am conflicted about this certain aspect of my identity can I seek this kind of therapy and these churches very not overtly open about their conversion therapy but very sort of like under like sweeped under the rug kind of sort of like yes we'll come in like we'll take yes. care of this what For was quite disturbing in that in that particular scenario was that several of these and they're generally right-wing religious organizations right. so there are little bible belts everywhere right little 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 elements of bible belts in in all cities and provinces but the um when they went underground with cameras they actually met psychologists and social workers who were members of the professional orders of psychologists and social workers here in quebec who were giving income tax receipts mm. and who were practicing um a form of quote-unquote therapy that's banned by the orders and uh, the the professional orders here in Quebec had to release statements saying that professionals who practice these kinds of this kind of work um, cannot call themselves psychologists social workers or sexologists and that they should be um, banned from the professional orders that allow them to give income tax receipts and to receive insurance payments do you know some of the practices that are being used in this conversion therapy? So like for someone who's listening right now, just to be sort of aware of, of what they can get into, because as we've seen and on so many different documentaries and all that, regardless of the topic, it doesn't take much for you to be led. Like it's, right. you can easily be, be caught up in a cult or whatever it is. And especially if you have pressure, maybe from a parental unit that is driving this bus. So yeah. Can we speak about maybe some methods that are out there? Well, um, some of them would be similar to what we might have called in the Middle Ages exorcisms. Okay. And they're very sort of spiritual in orientation, but they're traumatic for the person who undergoes them. Um, some of them are, are relatable to torture in some environments. And particularly if you leave Canada, there are camps that you can send your children to where they will basically torture them. There's one uh, in the Caribbean that was um, uncovered in a documentary, and they were digging holes and putting kids, we're talking about 11 and 12-year-olds, into these holes for days as punishment if they didn't, as a way to rid them of their desires for or the emerging uh, understanding that they might be gay, lesbian, or bisexual. Um, for trans kids, it's often forcing them into gender roles that um, they do not feel comfortable in mm -hmm. and um, and causing a great deal of harm for, uh, for years and years in their lives. It, it takes people sometimes years of therapy to work their way out of the harm that's been done by these conversion therapies. Some of it, um, you know, in some places you'll find electric shock treatments still being really? used and wow. those sorts of things. Yeah, but generally speaking, those are becoming quite rare in this country. Okay. And can we talk a little bit about, uh, again, the effects of, of, of what a person goes through and has to come up to get out of this? Because like you said, it sounds like it takes years to unravel the mess that has been created for them. Yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of trauma response. So you know, people suffering PTSD okay. type symptoms, um, having to seek out other resources to affirm their gender or sexual orientation. Um, the the effects of this are, are last ages after the therapy. And it's interesting. One of the I feel like strategies to ban this practice that's gotten some traction in the states that I've heard people are trying out in Canada as well is is like consumer fraud framing frameworks instead of focusing on 
the fact that this causes damage, instead focusing on the fact that this will not deliver what this professional is telling you it's going to deliver. They are defrauding you out of your money and time, et cetera, because it's actually not going to convert you. There is no evidence or proof that this is actually effective. And in fact, it might actually damage you. Okay. Yeah. I have a, a psychotherapy practice as well that's mostly um, within the LGBT community and parents who, who have learned that their children are, are members of the community. And um, what I see most often is an incredible amount of guilt that lasts for years um, because they're seen, they're seen by those around them as betraying their upbringing, betraying their religious values, betraying their family. And even though they may want to emancipate themselves from these families and actually revolt against the conversion therapy, they still come with these very conflicted um, memories and realities around uh, the fact that they they were forced to do this first of all, and so often they broke in completely with their families, uh, because their parents their parents take them there. We're talking about minors mostly, right, and uh, and teenagers. So their parents take them there and oblige them to undertake these treatments, and um, they end up um, causing these children to break with their their biological families, but also to experience years of having to work their way out of what has been inculcated in them through the messages they've received. Okay. Generally, it takes LGBTQ people years to work their way out of these things anyway, even in the best mm. of situations. Yeah. But this just aggravates it even more. Because it's more, it's aversion therapy. Like it's the, the practices that, that you described are, are really just to associate negative sensations with yes. whatever feels authentic, mm. yes. whether right. it's your attraction right. or your gender expression or whatnot. And so, you know, by design, that is to make you feel bad and that takes a long time to unlearn you're listening to passion on cjd it's kelly alexander sitting in for dr Lori batito uh tonight we're with the lgbtq panel if you have questions or um yeah if you have questions whether you want to reach us via text or through the phone 514-790-0800 by phone and 514-800 by text it's A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Good evening. It's Kelly Alexander in for Dr. Lori Batito this week on the show. It feels like minus 18 right now in downtown Montreal, so I feel like winter has actually hit us over the next 24 hours or so. Uh, we have the LGBTQ panel tonight with us on Passion, uh, joined by Professor Bill Ryan, LGBTQ activist and McGill social work professor. We also have Brock Dumville, uh, co-director of Rezo, and Dolly Blonde, a singer-songwriter, joining us in studio until 11 o'clock. If you have comments, if you have a question, we'd love to take them, 514-790-0800 by phone and 514-800 by text. And uh, we actually had a text come in over the break that I wanted to speak to because before, and I'll sort of preface this by saying that before the break, we were talking about conversion therapy and how just, you know, uh, the fact that it is still a thing in 2020 and it should be, even though I know that a lot of um, territories and, and areas in Canada are trying to ban it, trying to make sure it's not happening anymore. Uh, but this person texted in saying, I may be naive, but if someone who is questioning their sex sexuality goes to a clergy member or a therapist, what is wrong with that? They chose to go. By the way that you guys are speaking on the panel, it seems that the gay community is threatened by this. So, Bill, do you want to kick us off with answering this? Because sure. I don't think they got the point. Well, and I and I'm glad, actually, that the text came in and allows us to elaborate a little more. I think that, um, first of all, I, I don't think it's a question of being threatened by this. It's, I think it's a question of being angry by about this. Um, when we talk about psychology and when we talk about sexology or any kind of therapy, our work has to be guided by evidence and by science, not by 
beliefs or, or prejudices. And um, all the major professions in mental health have said that these treatments are harmful, that they do long-lasting harm, and that they ca you cannot change someone's fundamental core identity. And sexual orientation and gender identity are part of who we are as people. So that professional guidelines and codes of ethics say to us now that we are to um, support people help them to understand who they are, help them to accept who they are, but not change who they are. If I can just add one more thing, we had the exact same reactions when we talked about the equality of women and we talked about civil rights. There were actually psychiatric treatments available in the 19th century for slaves that wanted to escape because it was considered to be a mental illness. There were psychiatric treatments for women who did not want to be sub, um, second, uh, secondary or inferior to men. Um, and it was anger, yes, but also a drive to correct misconceptions that led women and visible minorities and LGBTQ people to say these things are inappropriate and they do us harm and we don't want them being done to children. Mm -hmm. And by the way, most churches will refuse to do this kind of thing as well because they see this as harmful to people. Brock, did you want to add anything? It's, it's hard to add to that. You said it really well. Um, but I think, I think the point is seeking out uh, professional or spiritual help when you're navigating your sexuality or gender is a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, but that help, I think, needs to recognize that distress as a result of your uh, like queer identity, the distress comes from society not creating a space for you, not the identity itself being negative or wrong or maladaptive or whatnot. And so it's the therapies or the responses to that that see that as a bad thing and then try to change that and fit you into the mold that is expected of you from society that is that causes harm, that's negative. Dolly, anything? Yeah. No, I, I've I just had so many friends who have been sort of in the same situation in terms of uh, being sent to conversion therapy by their uh, parental unit, by being sent by their, their guardians, and just sort of the years of deconstructing that trauma the years of repairing uh years lost in their childhood and their teenage years of sort of uh reclaiming identity and reclaiming uh their sexuality or gender identity within this whole black hole of sort of like misconstrued or misplaced uh, concern is is just ridiculous. And I also think, like, in reading this text, I just think that there's a difference, too, between... I think there's many faith-based leaders that would... Um, welcome someone in to help them maybe navigate in a positive way yes. and I think that's that's a huge difference from trying to be converted yeah. uh, so I think like yeah we're not trying to slam any sort of faith filled person or leader who who would deal with this in a, in a you know in a in a support role, role. that's a, a huge difference from what we're talking about so I'm glad that we uh, we clarified that up if you have any uh, would like to reach out again we are here until 11 o'clock 514-790-0800 by phone and 514-800 by text um, Bill I know that during the uh, the break we discussed our next topic and that is uh, talking about some of the the rights that are being repealed in the US specifically with regards to LGBTQ uh, community so did you want to start with um, trans people in the military sure um, the <clears throat> Trump administration announced uh, shortly after coming to power that they were going to um, rescind an executive order that Obama President Obama had issued because in the US most rights that have been gained by the LGBT community have been gained federally through executive order because they could not get them passed into law by the by the um, Congress. So Obama um, signed a whole bunch of executive orders that provided benefits to spouses that recognized same-sex relationships in the military and in the civil service, those kinds of things. 
before the Supreme Court even pronounced itself on marriage. And um, the Trump administration has been gradually undoing all of those as if somehow their main purpose is just to undo everything Obama ever did in eight years. And um, they brought in some really right-wing people. Generally speaking, it's the same ideology that tries to take rights away from women. And um, they, they announced that 18,000 trans people would be expelled from the United States Armed Forces. Now, the courts have blocked that, um, but they're trying to get around the courts, and they're talking about appealing all the way to the Supreme Court on this. And um, aside from that, various states now, and you know, we can sort of imagine where they are, they're generally the states that are more conservative and, and considered to be right-wing, have passed laws now around religious, called Religious Freedom Acts, where they'll say things like, um, if your religious views um, disagree with a clientele's or population's lifestyle, you don't have to offer them services. So now we have states, for example, like Michigan in the north, that has a law that says if you're a physician, even in an emergency room, you can refuse services to people based on your perception and your value um, judgment about their lifestyle. And uh, all the medical associations and professional health associations have come out to condemn this. It's against the basic values of health care. But we're seeing these laws, uh, they're rescinding laws that provide rights and they're passing laws that, um, that explicitly discriminate against uh, LGBTQ minorities. It's a pretty scary thing to see in an advanced democracy that had extended rights to see them being taken away. And I think it's been like a cold shower for many of us mm -hmm. around how vigilant we have to be about our rights. Mm -hmm. Wasn't it just a few years ago, too? Maybe it was just before um, Mike Pence became the vice president. But wasn't there a situation in Indiana where a gay couple wanted flowers or a cake or something and, and they okay. got... It was yes. something was that like India. I'm not sure where that was, I think but it yes, was. even the, even Will and Grace had an episode about like a, a cake maker not wanting to supply yeah. a gay couple. Don't take the gay money. Then mm -hmm. we will go to a gay cake maker. It's like we don't need to like supply and like give money to these like conservative ultra right wing Bible thumping people in the first place. Go to a gay cake maker. Right. But for some people, there aren't gay cake makers. And there aren't establishments in certain communities that are identifiable as being members of the community. And people should not have to, particularly when they belong to minorities, should not have to stand in front of a store or a business or a healthcare center and say, am I going to be served or not? And these laws also potentially say to people, if you don't want to serve Jews, you don't have to serve Jews. If you don't want to serve black people, you don't have to serve black people. You don't have to serve gay people. There are signs now up in establishments in the United States saying, we do not serve gay people here. Or For sure. gay is not allowed. Yeah. Wow. And like, given that situation, I mean, like, there are certain people who were sort of like born and bred and steeped and like marinated in this like deep racism and homophobia and transphobia in the United States that like, th they're just never going to change kind of a situation until we sort of like bring up and educate and raise people up to sort of the situation. And that's where, unfortunately, I'm <laughs> in the situation where I'm like, I realize that these people, unfortunately, are just never going to like shift their views and that we might as well just, you know, like. And that's why laws are important. Right. It forces folks to, to shift their views. Yeah. It's a reminder how, how precarious queer rights are yeah. that like, yeah, by the, 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 yeah, and how privileged pen, we are in the situation to be realized, like, oh, just go to another cake maker. For granted, yeah. yeah. You're listening to the LGBTQ panel tonight on Passion. It's Kelly Alexander in for Dr. Lori Batito. If you'd like to join us here until 11 o'clock, 514-790-0800 by phone and 514-800 by text.
10.35 in downtown Montreal. It's minus 11, but it feels like minus 18 with the wind chill. So uh, knuckle in, I guess, for the next little while with the cold snap that's with us. It's Kelly Alexander in for Dr. Lori Batito this week on Passion. If you'd like to join us, we are here until 11 o'clock tonight, 514-790-0800 by phone and 514-800 by text. We're joined by the LGBTQ panel tonight in studio. We've got uh, Professor Bill Ryan. We've got Brock Dumbill, and we have uh, Dolly Blonde with us. So again, if you'd like to reach out, we would love that. We're talking uh, just before the break about some of the laws, uh, specifically in the U.S., uh, with regards to the LGBTQ community that have sort of definitely gone in the wrong direction. And uh, Bill, I wanted to get back to you on this just to sort of see, to compare how we're doing in Canada in the same sort of situation. I I think one of the things that's really important to remember when we're talking about sort of the North American situation, the contrast between Canada and the U.S., is that... um, Sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression are grounds protected from discrimination within the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms and within all provincial and territorial legislation related to human rights and um, protection from discrimination. That's a huge difference because basically it means that if if we feel we're being discriminated against, we can go to tribunals and courts in a way that if you don't have those legal protections, you can't do it. And um, Quebec was actually the first jurisdiction in the world to forbid forbid discrimination based on sexual orientation in 1977, uh, following um, massive arrests that that happened during the Olympics here when they tried to rid Drapeau, Mayor Drapeau tried to rid the city of the gay community during the games. And at that time, the gay community was around um, Concordia University in the west Mm -hmm. of downtown. That's why the village is is now in the east of downtown, because when the bars were all shut down by the police in the west, they moved to a section of the city that was less desirable and less um, visited by tourists. And the village was born. But, um, you know, in the Canadian context, um, trans rights were a little bit much later, actually, to be enshrined in human rights legislation. And if sexual orientation was a forbidden grounds of discrimination in 1977 in Quebec, it's it's only become illegal to discriminate on gender identity and gender expression in Quebec since 2016. And actually, um, the Northwest Territories were the first jurisdiction in the country to forbid discrimination against trans people. That was in 1999. So sometimes these things take a long time, Mm -hmm. but um, they allow minorities who've historically experienced discrimination to have recourse and to um, and to demand um, equity and uh, and equality. Okay, I, I wanted to ask you this now with regards again to the the Trump administration in the states, and and again we've seen over the last couple of years it's just you know for many communities, uh, the African American community, the LGBTQ LGBTQ community, it's just definitely going in the wrong direction. And I'm just wondering because of the Trump administration and Donald Trump, you know, in particular, and and just the U.S. in general they have such a standing in the world. I'm just wondering what that effect is on the rest of the planet in some other countries saying, well, the states are going back to how they used to be. We should be doing that too. Right. Well, the Americans have always seen themselves as the light on the hill for the whole world. Right. And uh, and because they are so powerful economically and militarily, um, when, again, when President Obama was um, uh, in office, he actually and his administration initiated all kinds of um, projects around the world to um, promote uh, the rights of LGBTQ people. And um, the Trump administration hasn't actually um, turned its back officially on those things, but informally they have. And so things like ambassadors and embassies being involved in pride 
um, uh, celebrations in different parts of the world has been forbidden. And actually, to their credit, some embassies and ambassadors actually disobeyed the directive from Washington and participated in pride celebrations. Because um, Western countries often are the only sources of support for some communities in some parts of the world. And if the Western countries abandon them, then we're talking not just about discrimination around employment and housing, but we're talking about violence and, per and sometimes even death um, if someone isn't watching what's going mm -hmm. on in those countries. For sure. For sure. And even within the Trump administration, it's so systematic and it's so particular that like even within the United States in 2019, over 25 trans women of color had been murdered. You still have instances of Trump supposedly supporting LGBTQ rights by holding a pride flag upside down in some situations where you have ex, uh, I, I think, I believe he was a congressman, but a congressman stepping down by uh, using funds to transform his office into a Downton Abbey replica yeah, in some situations. Guy. And then he stepped down and he's sort of been like shunned within gay bars, but is still heavily connected within the Republican Party. It's just sort of very interesting to sort of connect the dots in terms of this Trump administration, not just only being anti-LGBTQ, but just sort of very preferential between white LGBTQ members and yes. uh, ra extremely racialized. And, and, and beside that, you're seeing places like China, for example, where they're now talking about introducing legislation to adopt same-sex marriage in Chinese law. And you're seeing a place like Brazil, which was fairly advanced, at least in law around LGBT rights, um, where the Bolsonaro, the president, is, a, is, is, is really... Uh, um, I can't think of a better word than saying a rabid homophobe and transphobe. And he said, basically, if one of my sons, I'd rather my son be killed. I can think of a gay. couple of other words for him. And uh, and Brazil now is seeing enormous amounts of violence uh, directed towards the LGBT community because it's sanctioned now by the administration in power. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm wondering, too, you know, with the situation in the States, like who actually scares you more? Is it Donald Trump or Mike Pence? <laughs> Pence. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I think they're kind of one and the same. They're backed by the same people. But I, I think, you know, Pence has probably a much higher IQ, and perhaps that's more frightening. That's the thing. I used to be more afraid of Pence because he was, I was like, well, he's going to be actually effective as a politician if he finds himself yeah. in power. But then Trump's yeah. still pushing through Just, and yeah. Yeah. Exactly. norms left and right. So Just for like, a, <laughs> I hate to say it, millennial perspective, uh, on Twitter, there are like countless sort of like very, very dark jokes about like the Trump impeachment, about like finding your like your best Judy and your best girlfriend and like where Pence will send you afterwards when like he gets control of where to send gay yeah, people. Yeah, I feel like Trump's like barely even a homophobe. I think he just has a political strategy of division and, and queer people are low That's kind of what I think. Fruit, I think that where he... Pence is like actually doesn't yeah. like gay people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because I mean, I think they've even talked about years ago where Donald Trump was identifies as a Democrat at one point, right? right? So, yeah. so I feel like this is all a strategy and mm -hmm. I don't even think he really cares as long as he's getting what he wants yeah. exactly he, this was a strategy but mike pence i really feel and i think he's demonstrated by the words he's used by his position exactly. that if he was in charge fully there'd be way more problems yeah. he's actually like yeah yeah he has like ideologies that yes are exactly yeah. exactly yeah. Pence, pence makes the catholic church look like a bunch of raging liberals right Woof. really <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in terms of women's rights yeah. in terms of lgbtq rights in terms of yeah. minority rights in terms of conversion therapy yeah. full yeah. circle yeah um, with regards to the current makeup of the Supreme Court right now, the way it's leaning, does it scare you where it's sitting right now? In the United States? Yeah. Yes. 
Well, yes. I mean, I think everyone is terrified that Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh my goodness! To her I know. I pray for her almost every night now. Yeah. <laughs> on wood. Oh and I was reading today, actually, in the New York Times, that um, the person that Trump has already designated as the replacement to Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a right-wing, radically right-wing conservative judge whose whose judgments have been criticized by the American Bar Association okay. uh, as as being off base in terms of constitutional rights. So yes, I think that uh, it's it's going to be there's potentially very scary times coming if mm-hmm. uh, if um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg doesn't last outlast Trump. Right. She has five more Harry Potter Horcruxes that she like Trump needs to find. So like she's they're for all a while. doilies. She's good. <laughs> <laughs> 514-790-0800 by phone and 514-800 uh, by text if you'd like to reach out to the LGBTQ panel tonight on Passion here until 11 o'clock. Um, do you think, you know, like if he gets in again, Trump in 2020, because it's, you know, it's it's four years already or we're just about. And again, it just seems very scary. And I know that a lot of my friends, I have a lot of American friends on, on Facebook, let's say. And I remember when they that he got in, a lot of um, my my gay male friends were right away like we're getting married. Like they just mm. wanted to make sure that that was happening because they were so frightened. And so what do you think another four years would mean? And I'm going to actually make you answer that as soon as we come back. So you have time to ponder. <laughs> think about it. You have time to ponder. I'm giving you time, not Jeopardy, where you've got 30 seconds. This is Passion on CJAD 800. Good evening. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's Kelly Alexander in for Dr. Lori Batito on Passion all this week here on CJAD. Joined by the LGBTQ panel in studio tonight, Brock Dumville, Professor Bill Ryan, and Dolly Blonde. Again, you can join us 514-790-0800 by phone and 514-800 by text. Uh, Bill, before the break, we were talking about the Trump administration, what would happen if we get another four years of that administration, and how that sort of can affect the LGBTQ community. So what, what scares you the most about that? prospect i think that um what what often happens in the united states because they have term limits so the second term is often the one where they bring in the really more radical proposals because they know they don't have to face the electorate after that so they're trying to please the people who are going to hire them on corporate boards after and so i think it will just be turned up in intensity um and you know i I worry about unrest, actually. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I th- so it goes beyond LGBTQ people. I think that there's going to be unrest in the United States, and I'm I'm worried that he's going to provoke violence, and uh, it won't just be about uh, LGBTQ people, but it'll be against women, mm-hmm. and it will be against visible minorities, and it will be, you know, there's a real war going on against the poor in the United States as well, and uh, people with without medical insurance. And, you know, and uh, and gay, lesbian, bisexual, and trans people are poor, and they're visible minorities, and they're women, and they're immigrants, and they're all these intersections that I think, um, and anytime there's, you know, a, a crossover in discrimination, people are always at more risk and more vulnerable. And so uh, I worry about that, and I worry about the effect it's going to have on the world. You know, we've resisted in Canada pretty well so far, that wave of right-wing reactionary yeah. populism, but... Four more years of American media bombarding us uh, will probably have some impact on us as well. Yeah, well, that's what's scary because I read a stat just the other day, and I don't have the numbers exactly in my head, but it was how when Trump first got in, it was like X amount of Canadians agreed with him. But it's actually gone up. 
mm-hmm. like over the last couple of years. And I was like shocked because you'd think it would have gone the other direction. But in this specific demographic, it was like, no, there was more Canadians agreeing mm-hmm. with how he's handling the situation with, with whatever, you know, not just LGBTQ rights, but just how he's presenting himself in the world. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I think if we're keep, you know, keep being bombarded by his presence and that administration's presence, it's not heading in the right direction. Brock, do you have anything to add? With yeah, that? no, he's just like shifting the norms, like what yeah. used to be completely unacceptable is now just what we're used to seeing every single day and that's that's really scary and the other real practical thing that he's doing we were just talking about the supreme court but he's appointing all these extremely conservative judges in like local courts all over the place and those don't have term limits from what i understand so he's actually like creating lasting change in the judicial system yeah. in the states for and, years and, and decades potentially yeah and that that's really really scary and that's i mean the damage there has already been done and yeah. that's that's horrifying and then four more years would only give him ample more opportunity to do that mm-hmm. and we we're just talking about the importance of, of, of laws for the rights of marginalized people because you know for certain things the law needs to leads the sort of cultural change but here the law will indeed like lead a, a uh, regression yeah. in, in progressive values Dolly, any thoughts on... Yeah. Uh, I mean, speaking of cultural change, I, I don't have a degree in social work and I don't have a degree in public health, but what can I definitely say is in the past four years in terms of queer media and queer artists, we've sort of seen this boom and renaissance in terms of like queer creative power. I mean, like one of the most popular shows that's like pop, like coming up right now is RuPaul's Drag Race amongst the majority of heterosexual people in terms of gender identity, in terms of sexual identity, in terms of uh, discussing racial inequality in the United States. We have movies coming out like Love, Simon. We have this huge boom in sort of queer representation within media, which has sort of been, I don't want to say forced upon, but has given this sort of uh petri dish to just sort of bloom within itself in the in the face of adversity. And I think that is just like one of the more lighthearted things we can sort of take out of this very, very dark era in sort of North American uh, political history. And I think that's just something we need to sort of uh, further cultivate mm. and further encourage resistance, yeah. resistance for sure. Go ahead, Bill. I, I, I think too, that one of the things that we've been made aware of in the last few years is that history isn't just a movement towards progress, that history can actually go backwards and I think that for minorities everywhere, but particularly in the context of what's happening in certain parts of the world, we're watching this and thinking we have to stay organized, we have to stay involved, we have to stay active as citizens, we have to support our community organizations, and we have to be vigilant to make sure that what we have fought very hard to get does not, is, is not made to go in reverse even in small ways, because once you start that ball rolling, you know, it's hard to it's hard to stop the momentum. So the good thing is, if you can see the silver cloud in it, is in the U.S., the LGBTQ communities have made alliances with other communities, with Which other marginalized communities. Yeah. Have become, they've become much more politically active, much more involved. Because I think under Obama, people kind of thought, okay, we've, we've done it. We've made it. We've mm-hmm. got rights. And all of a sudden, they're being erased. Yeah. And people are going to fight back. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it's really important what you just said, Bill, because I think, yeah, I think there's so many different communities need to back each other up until the wave changes again in the right direction. For sure. 
they're not isolated. There's an intersectionality between every community, whether it be yeah. Black Lives Matter, whether it be trans lives, whether it be like queer lives. There's intersectionality choice. between yeah. everything. Reproductive exactly. choice. And you know what I think is going to happen too when he's done, when the Trump administration is done. I almost feel like Trump's going to turn around and go, "Ha ha." You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like he doesn't believe a lot of the things that mm -hmm. he's doing. He's just using everybody as a chess piece to get where he needs to go, which is affirmation. He needs to be told how amazing he is. So I think nice. that's that's a, a huge part of it. Um, before we wrap up the show, we still have a couple of minutes. I did want to actually bring this up. Um, I wanted to talk about the 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 use of pronouns and why it's important uh, for for people to understand that, especially maybe the older generation who do not want to start using they or them. Mm. Bill, I'm starting with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is a really um, ongoing discussion, and I think that um, our language evolves. Uh, I was talking to a friend yesterday who's in a relationship, uh, two women in a relationship, and um, she was talking about uh, her partner is a physician, and she was talking about the fact that they used to receive correspondence that said, you know, Miss Miss Ms or Doctor and misses mm -hmm. and in only one name and i remember my parents getting that as well where you know my my parents would get mail addressed to mr and mrs terry ryan and right. the woman the wife the mother was just was completely erased from that and we talked about the rights of man and all these different things that we've actually evolved in and i think we'll involve we'll evolve as well in terms of, of the recognition of gender diversity we'll learn from other cultures too for whom that's not a big issue and they have pronouns that match people um, and it will take a while, but I think we're headed there. And if you talk to young people who are under 15, it's not really a big deal for them anymore. Right. You know, they just adapt to it. Yeah. It's the adults around them that need to evolve a little bit more in terms yeah. of language. Brock? I think, yeah, I think it's hard for folks who don't experience, uh, say, gender dysphoria or that, yeah, that experience of your name or your pronouns not uh, being respected, what that's like. Um but it can be very fundamental and it can be very powerful to have people around you adapt or respect your your pronouns and your your name mm -hmm. uh and it, it 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 it's weird because it's like so fundamental and basic and part of everyday language that's why some people find it really difficult to adapt right but that's also why it's so important because it's ubiquitous um and we were talking during the break how it can take a bit of an effort to change say you've known someone for a long time and now you're using a different pronoun to describe them uh that can take some effort and that's okay to be a little bit challenged by it but it's worth the effort it's sort of basic respect for someone's identity mm -hmm. um but i think it's more than pronouns too i think like you have to use the pronoun someone uses but also actually accept and affirm their gender or their identity and there's more ways to do that than just using the pronouns but pronouns i think are sort of maybe a first step or a sort of like proxy often for, for how much you're willing to create space for somebody and make an effort. Dolly? For sure. Everything Brock just said, 100%, it's it's an affirmation of the person. Uh, everything that uh, Bill just said in terms of uh, the Mr. and Mrs. is that pronouns and addresses and these uh, politeness uh, proxies around pronouns and around names are like always constantly evolving and the, the fact that like if you were to address somebody differently by like a last name that might differ from marriage what is the difference of you just respecting mm. the person's wishes and as Brock was talking about not just sort of respecting the person's wishes of uh, just addressing them by their uh, pronouns but 
also just accepting and affirming their gender identity. And that, of course, this is not static. A person might ask you to address them by they, them pronouns one week, and then the next week they said, you know what, I'm more comfortable using he, him pronouns the next week. And then it's a constant dialogue and it's a constant conversation. And that never assuming based on like what you see of like, oh, I... I perceive this person to be male presenting. I'm going to use he, him. It's always a conversation where you're not sure. It's not a social taboo to say, hey, by the way, what are your pronouns? You can just totally ask at any point. It's not unheard of. Right. And I think in the grand scheme of things, too, be kind. Like, just be kind yes. to your fellow yes. people. Yeah. Um, Brock, Bill, Dolly, thank you so much for spending time with us on CJD tonight. We really appreciate it. Uh, my thanks to Chris Aikens for pushing all the right buttons. My name is Kelly Alexander sitting in for Dr. Lori tonight on Passion. I'll be back with you tomorrow night as well. Coming up after the news on CJD, it's the CTV National News uh, with Lisa Laflamme. Thank you so much for listening and continue to do so on CJD.